0: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to episode 366 of the non-award nominated UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you so much for joining me today. So today's story comes from the county of Cornwall in the southwest of England. It's a place known for its outstanding beauty and its friendliness to second home owners. I lived near Beed for a while and I loved the wild exposed northern coastline. While Cornwall has a low crime rate, the county has been rocked by several high profile murders, including the mass murder of the Ford family in 2000, and the sadistic murder of Deborah O'Sullivan on the streets of Newquay in 2001, which I covered recently. Today, we stray into the frightening world of arson. We all watched Crime Watch, right? Yeah, of course we did. I know you did. And I don't know about you, but when I think back to those I watched when I was much younger, It was the arson cases that terrified me, and have stayed with me ever since. As you may know, I live with five cats, so I'm delighted that today's podcast is sponsored by Catkin. There's something wrong with the cat food industry. Many wet and dry cat foods are light on the meat, sometimes as little as 4%. And that meat isn't the sort you would choose to eat. Plus they're heat sterilised to last on supermarket shelves even though that destroys the nutrients. So enter Catkin, the UK's first and only fresh cat food. Made with 100% human quality meat, your cat was born to eat. Cat food from Catkin is gently cooked to kill bad bacteria while protecting the key nutrients, protein and amino acids. It's frozen to stay fresh with no additives or preservatives and there are seven recipes to tempt even Katy Perry, that is the most fussy of our five cats. It really is no surprise that 93% of cat parents see amazing health benefits when they switch to fresh, such as shinier, thicker coats, fewer hairballs, more energy and playfulness. Then they deliver it straight to your door, so how good is that? And I have an offer to get you started on Catkin. Catkin has given UK True Crime listeners 30% off their trial box. Take advantage of this offer by going to catkin.com slash UK True Crime. That's K-A-T-K-I-N dot com backslash UK True Crime. You can use the code UKTrueCrime30 on their website. That's UKTrueCrime30. Catkin going all in for cat's health. Right, let's quickly set the context for today's story with our guest month and year game. Beyoncé was at number one in the UK charts with If I Were a Boy. In the US, at number 22 randomly was Coldplay with Viva La Vida. And in Australia, the top album was Pink with Funhouse. In the news this month, Barack Obama was elected President of the United States, defeating Republican candidate John McCain. British singer Craig David released his first greatest hits album. No, really? This month saw the terrorist attacks in Mumbai, India. Ten coordinated attacks by terrorists killed 164 and injured more than 250 people. The names and contact details of more than 12,000 members of the British National Party were published online. And finally, in UK true crime news, Conservative Shadow Immigration Minister Damien Green was arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to commit misconduct in public office. So did you guess the month and year? It was November 2008, of course it was. Karen Pedley was one of eight children of the Stringer family living in Bedfordshire. There were mixed reports on her childhood, as while it was assumed she did not receive enough attention due to being such a large family, some of her family members claim that wasn't the case at all. But whatever the reality, Karen certainly liked getting attention. But is that any different to any of the rest of us when we were growing up? When she was just 10 in 1983, disaster struck the family. A fire took hold of the Stringer family home and it was only due to Karen's quick thinking and reaction that meant all her family managed to evacuate safely. Her heroic actions of that day made the papers, with headlines screaming out about Karen's bravery and how she saved her family from a very tricky situation. Karen was rightly held a hero, and she even won a flight on a Concorde for her efforts. But this traumatic event caused a lifelong fascination with fire for Karen. Following the devastating fire that had destroyed their home, the Stringers relocated from Bedfordshire to Cornwall and to Truro. The only city in Cornwall with a population of about 20,000 people. Karen remained in the southwest as she grew up and eventually married and had children, becoming Karen Pedley. She was always fun, was smiling with family and friends, but under the surface, life was not so straightforward for Karen and she moved from job to job around the area, struggling to settle. In 2002, Karen got a job as a cleaner at the Trefella House nursing home in nearby Redruth. Shortly after she started her new role, a fire broke out. But fortunately, no one was injured, but no one could work out how the fire started. Maybe it was just an electrical issue, but Karen said that it brought back memories of the family fire all those years ago, which you can well imagine, can't you? In 2006, Karen and her family moved to the village of Kaharakh, Following the move, Karen worked at a local shop, a care home and a working man's club. At some stage, all three of these premises had mysterious fires too. These fires seemed to occur after Karen had left her job where she'd been fired or asked to leave for another reason. She was sacked from one care home after the manager found her asleep under a table during a night shift, so it sounds like she wasn't the most reliable of workers. But days later the home suffered an arson attack. Nobody again was found responsible for these three fires, so was it just coincidence and bad luck, or something more sinister? Although nobody had joined the dots, and I suppose why would they, it certainly pointed to the latter, especially when you consider that in all of the fires, Karen was actually the person to ring the fire service, and also the first person on the scene making sure everyone was safe. In 2008, Karen started another new job as a carer at the Rose House Residential Home. This facility was known for its excellent and loving care towards its elderly residents and their relatives, and it was described by many as just one big family. It felt safe to those who lived and worked there. Indeed, it was so nice that the owner, Jenny Spargo, put her own mum in the facility. Jenny lived on the facility grounds and she was there 24-7. To her, like so many who work in the care industry, it was much more than a job. It was her life which she absolutely adored. The care sector across the UK struggles with staffing issues as we know and it was no different here in Cornwall. But then in 2008 they received a call out of the blue from Karen Pedley. She was looking for work at the time. She had glowing references and there was no indication she'd be anything but an excellent addition to the team. Karen had applied to be a cook or a cleaner at the home. She had a bit of both of these but she also helped with the care site. Karen at first seemed to fit in with colleagues and the residents liked her and there were no complaints. But she did have a few complaints of her own regarding the care home. She told her sister that the home was a fire hazard pointing at the electrics in the residents' rooms. One of the home's owners, Greg, took care of all the fire drills. And Karen repeatedly pestered him about more fire drill training and talking about fire, she went on and on about it. She told Greg how she rescued someone from a fire at the Seafarers Centre in Falmouth in 2007 when she worked there. Unbeknown to Greg, whilst working at the Seafarers Hostel, Unbeknown to Greg, whilst Karen was working at the seafarer's hostel, fires had broken out in three of the residents' rooms. In what was a lucky coincidence, Karen was at the scene and she managed to help one vulnerable man who lived there once the fire took hold, probably saving his life. The 23rd of November 2008 was just a normal chilly winter's day, a bit like today across the UK. In the evening, Jenny Spargo left the property, but as she did, she noticed Karen dancing and having fun in room 5, which housed 96-year-old Gladys Rowe and Joan Olive Ray, who was in her 70s. Karen all day had been unusually excitable and happy, which had been noted by a number of her colleagues. But the residents were happy, they were having a good time, and Jenny thought no more of it. 96-year-old Gladys had lived a really full life and she'd now been living at Rosewyn House for nine years. They were very fond of her. She was well-loved by the staff and the other residents and she was known as a bit of a character. That evening, Karen and her fellow staff member, Catherine, put Gladys and Joan to bed. They shared the room. But approximately 25 minutes after Jenny had gone home, she received a frantic call that was her worst nightmare saying that the home was on fire. As Jenny raced back, she saw the residents being evacuated from the premises and smoke engulfing the property. The smoke was coming out of room 5, and Jenny did all she could to get into the room, but she just couldn't get inside. The smoke pushed her back. After 48 years in the care business, it was the very worst moment of her career. The fire brigade was immediately on the scene and the two female residents were rushed to hospital. It was soon established that the fire had begun in room 5. While Joan survived the fire, sadly five days later, Gladys died in hospital. But as you no doubt suspect by now, it was Karen who had started the fire in room 5. She set fire to the curtain. After the fire, she fled the scene and she immediately quit her job. Suspicion, as you can imagine, fell on Karen and she was arrested, but with no evidence she was released. With a lack of evidence against Karen, the case slowly went silent as new priorities emerged for the police force. The inquest into Gladys' death in 2011 was unable to conclude how the fire started, but Karen's love for fire was undiminished. And soon after the fire at Rosewyn House in 2010, she targeted her own sister. Jenny lived in nearby Hale with her family, it was about 14 miles away from Karen. One evening, a fire had broken out under the stairs of Jenny's house and engulfed her home with smoke. As firefighters attended the scene, their suspicions were aroused. It transpired that Jenny had phoned Karen to inform her of the fire and Karen arrived at the scene within just five minutes. This was strange as Karen lived around half an hour away, and yet she was able to get to the house so soon. Following this fire, which just devastated the family, Karen seemed quite light-hearted about it, and she made some very dark and unappreciated jokes around fire, such as asking if anybody wanted any smoky bacon crisps. Jenny and her family were not allowed back into the home due to the fire damage, and Karen offered them a place to stay, which they did for around three months or so. So just like back in 1983, Karen was seen as a hero following a fire by providing her sister's family with a place to stay. Meanwhile, in the two years since the fire at Rosewyn House, the owner, Jenny Spargo, she wasn't satisfied that the fire was an accident. Alongside Greg and other colleagues, they began asking questions and theorising about what might have happened that evening, as you would do, and Greg kept pushing the police to investigate further. In 2012, the police gained a search warrant for Karen's home, where they discovered a scrapbook full of articles from 1983 when she'd saved her family from the house fire. It seemed that Karen had treasured every single article about this for over 30 years, she seemingly built her whole life on that one event which took place when she was just 10 years old. By 2013, the police were investigating 12 suspicious fires across West Cornwall and Karen was becoming the prime suspect. It became known to detectives that Karen had attempted to cover her tracks. She had tried to ask her sister for an alibi for one of the fires and also forced a co-worker to back up her false alibi for another suspicious fire. Karen got increasingly desperate and as she did so, her behaviour became increasingly threatening and she told one of her ex-colleagues that she would burn her house down if she did not help her and tell the police what she wanted. As the investigation continued, it was found that Karen would always be the first on the scene when firefighters arrived Offering suggestions on how the fire may have begun. She had to be the multiple arsonist. By 2015, Carol had moved over 400 miles away to Newcastle in the northeast of England, and it was here that she was eventually arrested. She was charged with a dozen arsons dating back to 2002 and the attempted murder of Olive and the murder of Gladys. Whilst reminded in custody, astonishingly, Karen's urge to start fires was still so strong, so much so that she even set fire to her own cell. In October 2016, 43-year-old Karen Pedley appeared at Truro Crown Court to face the charges against her. She denied murder and 13 counts of arson. She also denied the attempted murder of resident Olive Ray in her 70s, who shared the bedroom with Gladys Rowe. Defending Karen, her QC argued that she may have been trying to turn the clock back to that glorious day in 1983 when she saved her family from fire. He said it was never her intention to kill Gladys, as she knew there was a working fire alarm, she knew the midnight check on residents was due and she'd even tried to rescue the residents herself but was driven back by the dense smoke. But the jury made their decision. And they found Karen guilty of murder and 12 counts of arson by a majority verdict at the court. She was found not guilty of the attempted murder of Joan Olive Ray. The court had been informed of psychiatric reports which showed that Karen was of low intelligence and had a personality disorder. The judge sentenced Karen to 14 life sentences, telling her that she would serve a minimum of 27 years in prison. He said, The life sentences are necessary for the protection of the public. The remarkable aspect is that Pedley continued to offend, even after she committed the arson that claimed the life of Gladys Rowe. She had a history of starting fires where people lived. The murder had several aggravating factors. The use of fire as a weapon, and the significance, premeditation as arson had been in Karen Pedley's mind ever since she started work at Rosewin. There was also the fact the victim was a frail elderly lady and that Pedley was employed as a carer, so the crime represents a breach of trust and the crime also endangered the life of another resident and other residents and staff. Finally, the fact she blamed others for the fire by initially saying it was caused by an electrical fault. The lead policeman from Devon and Cornwall Police said that the conviction reveals the truth in relation to the fire at the Rosewind care home and fully vindicates the owners of any wrongdoing. You can imagine the speculation that would have taken place. He continued that we are satisfied that Pedley has been found guilty of these additional arson offences, any of which could have had equally tragic results and which exposed innocent members of the public to the great risk of harm. The impact of these offences cannot be underestimated, including the damage to businesses and livelihoods that resulted. With what happened to Karen when she was very young, and the fire where she was a hero, there have been lots of people speculating on how this led to what happened in future years. Let's look at just one suggestion. It's been argued that Karen's desire to be the hero is the hero complex that you've probably heard of. This phenomenon is where an individual strives to be the hero regardless of the situation or the odds. They just want to be seen as the saviour, the one who saves the day. At extreme lengths, they will create a situation which could cause harm to others so they can take the credit. But despite being known as a hero syndrome, the phenomenon is not a mental illness or a clinical term as far as I can see. It's not even always a cause for concern. With some people simply wanting more recognition than others, (laughs) think of most politicians, or no doubt like me you've worked with such people, right? But for a small number of people, it can lead to catastrophic events like those we've heard today. I can't imagine actually physically starting a fire, can you, that would actually hurt somebody. So what does actually make someone commit arson? It seems that since Covid there's been an increase in arson attacks in England and Wales up almost 7%. And it seems that while arson can be used as an act of violence stemming from revenge or another destructive aim trying to hurt someone, fire setting has also been seen as compulsion and recognised as a mental illness. Research in this area is still in its infancy, but fire setting is not seen as a distinct disorder necessarily, but a behaviour that stems from another deep-rooted issue. Studies have shown that fire setters are more likely to be registered with psychiatric services in comparison with other offenders. Fire setting in adolescence and early adulthood can predict schizophrenia in later life. And in juveniles, fire setting is one third of the McDonald triad alongside animal cruelty and bedwetting. This theory suggests that a combination of these three behaviours can indicate aggressive and violent behaviour, later in life, and it's often referenced when talking about serial killers. In contrast to other criminal offenders, it seems that arsonists are usually socially isolated and they lack specific coping skills, with suicide also common amongst this group of offenders. According to some of the research I looked at, women commit one third of arson attacks, but very little is known about the psychology behind female fire setters. Although research does show that these women tend to have substance abuse issues, depression and personality disorders. Okay, so what do you make of what we heard today? True was, as you can understand, so shocked that Gladys Rowe was killed at the care home where she lived. And the worst thing is that her killer was actually there to look after her. That's the shocking part of this story to me, isn't it to you? And it is, I think, a really sad story. I feel for Karen Pedley. I wonder if you do too. To be a hero growing up, saving her family from a fire at the family home. But this heroism became an infatuation and she grew up to become a serial arsonist. The way she set fires to the places of work where she'd been asked to leave, and yet still no one made the connection. That's the worrying factor, isn't it? Even with the suspicious circumstances of Gladys' death, the authorities labelled the fire as an accident and she would have got away with it. She would have got away with murder. Except for her infatuation with fire grew still further and she began targeting those closest to her, even her sister. And as for setting fire to her cell whilst on remand, you don't whether to laugh or cry. But I think we must still remember that Karen was a mum and her children have to live with the legacy of what she's done. They will read about it. And Karen herself, she's lived a very sad and unfulfilled life. If you get a chance, Google it and take a look at the bright-eyed 10-year-old girl who saved her family back in 1983 and compare it to her when she was sentenced at 43, looking at least 20 years older. It's a terrible shame. But of course our real thoughts lie with those affected by her actions. The owner of their care home where Gladys died And all the other places where she set fires, went through tremendous trauma, fingers pointed at them. You can just imagine what they must have been through. But of course, we finish, as always, by offering our sympathies to the friends and family of Gladys. A woman who'd achieved so much in her long life, she didn't deserve to die this way. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspects of UK True Crime please head over to Facebook and join over 92,000 of us who talk UK True Crime 24-7. We really do, all through the night. And to support the show, please do head to patreon.com slash UK True for bonus episodes and loads of other exclusive content. A huge thank you to the latest members of this community. That's Jamie Darling, Judy Thornton, Chris Abs and Lou Mac. Thank you so much. Your support is so much appreciated. Okay, so that's all for me, the host of the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcast and the only one with the freedom of the city of Rochdale, even though it's not a city. But hey, let's just roll with it, shall we? I'll be back next week. But until then, please do take it easy and remember, despite all the others, stay classy. It's not all about winning awards. (laughs) Cheerio for now.